0: The seven golden candlesticks are addressed in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. These are the things that were present and shortly to come to pass. Then in chapter 4, we'll see the things that are to come to pass hereafter. Hear now the reading of God's inspired word, profitable for us. Revelation 2, starting at verse 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars... In his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent." But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them, which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he, which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith. Even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But... I have a few things against thee because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone. And in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it and unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, Because thou sufferest that woman, Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he that searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, As many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations." And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter, shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father, and I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Thus far the reading of God's holy word from the book of Revelation, chapter 2. May the Lord bless us in the reading and hearing of it. First, we have this glorious message to the church at Ephesus. Some people believe the angel was Timothy himself, angel being a minister or messenger and being addressed as to his ministerial duties or the session we might say of the church or the presbytery of the church addressed as to their collective duties that they owe to God or to one another. Now, these specific churches were real people, though spoken of in figurative or apocalyptic language, as we talked about last week in chapter 1, this book is filled with symbolism, with allegory, with numbers that represent various things. But these were real churches with real people, with real problems and real things to be commended. Notice here, the Lord Jesus in verse 1 says... These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. Now, this is a name of Christ. He that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. It could just say Jesus. It could say the Lord Jesus Christ. It could say the Son of God. But it gives him this name, the right hand of power. What were the stars? Those were the angels. Those were the ministers of the churches. He holds them in his power, he says under his care, under his protection, under his government, under his kingship, you might say. They are to be a light that shines the truth of God. Stars reflect the light of the sun. Christ shines with his face as a sun. And the ministers are to reflect that truth to the people of God. That's what he's dealing with here. Whether in commending or condemning, he's dealing with how faithfully are you reflecting my light? Notice also verse 1. Our Lord is called he who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. This is another name of Christ. Christ is present among those who profess the true religion. He's there. Those candlesticks can go away. They can be in place, but they profess the true religion. They hold fast the word of Christ, or at least hold it forth in some semblance. He is present and therefore the churches should remember that he is present and should act as if he is present because he is. Notice, I know, verse 2, thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. They worked hard. In fact, the word labor means to work yourself to, a, uh, to the bone, you might say, until you're tired out working and laboring, but also they suffered. They were patient. This is the idea of tribulation or holding up under tribulation, patient. Furthermore, if there were evil men in the church, they would cast them out. They couldn't bear them. They couldn't stomach them. They couldn't allow them to stick around. They would punish them with ecclesiastical punishments, discipline, censures, things like that. If someone was wicked and walking in scandal, they excommunicated them. If somebody taught heresy, they rebuked them. And if they didn't listen, they rebuked again. And after the second time, they rejected them. That's what they did. They were hardworking. They were orthodox. They had proper church discipline. They were diligent in the ministry. They suffered hardness as good soldiers of Christ. They did not put up with foul doctrines or wicked lives of the false teachers they even listened to what john said do you remember first john 4 1 and following try the spirits to see whether they're of god they did that they heard what john said they obeyed the epistle and furthermore he says they have borne and they have patience and for my name they have labored again going through, reiterating some of the same things with them. This is a high commendation Jesus gives to the angel of the church at Ephesus. Now notice here, Jesus is going to find fault with the angel of the church at Ephesus, but what does he do first? What is his modus operandi? Does he come in and crush them with all the wrongs first? No, if there's something to commend, what does he do? He commends it. This is what superiors are required to do. If you can commend some good, even when you must find fault, commend it. That's what Jesus does. Here are the good things. He even repeats himself as to the good that they had done. This is a rebuke to those in authority who are overly censorious, nitpicking superiors. Quick and zealous to find fault. But slow and ungenerous to commend. That's not like Christ, is it? He's quick. First thing, what's the first order of business? Look at these good things. I commend you. You can't bear the wicked. You are zealous. You labor and work hard, working yourselves to the bone. You cannot put up with those that are evil. You've labored for my name's sake to the point of exhaustion. Let us learn to encourage the good. Even Paul says of the civil magistrate, what is he to do? Just punish the wicked? No. For the praise of them that do well, he says. That's why the magistrate exists, to punish them that do evil and to praise them that do well. If he doesn't do both, he's not doing his full job. Now here, notice, Jesus does have something against the Ephesian angel. Thou hast left thy first love, he says. When you have a tree that you've worked hard to cultivate over the years, you planted it, you put out a space for it, you might have put mulch around it, and you got away the grass and the weeds, you have to cut it back so it doesn't grow too wild, so it gets nice sunlight, and then the fruit comes. Those first fruits you get off of that plant are delicious because it's the taste of all that work you've put in. And oftentimes there'll be small fruit, but it's still delicious. You still appreciate it. It's the first fruits that come forth. Those first ripe fruits, Christ wants those. Remember when you first came to me? Remember how when you suffered for my name, you rejoiced? Remember how when I called you to take up your cross, you said, yes, Lord Jesus, you've taken up the cross for me, I will take it up for you. You died for me, I'll gladly die for you. That's first love. The kindness of youth, the spousal love that God so well remembereth, John Trapp says. Now it's interesting, the word left here is aphasis, which sounds like Ephesus, doesn't it? Trapp says they've gone from being Ephesus to Ephesus, from being the city that had the love of Christ, and now they look and turn away from him. They leave off the angel of the church left off his first love. There is a spiritual lethargy, a sluggishness that creeps into the Christian life. Let us learn to love our Lord Jesus with a holy zeal, For the glory of God, for the salvation of our children, of our family, of our neighbors. This first love, let us have this renewed among ourselves. So the Lord calls to the angel and says, repent and do the first works in verse 5. When you had that first love, you had those first works. What were they? Well, we talked about them. Go back to those first works, he says. It almost seemed natural to deny yourself. Go back. Do the first works, he's saying. Don't become sluggish. Don't lose sight of all that I've done for you, or else, he says. What does he say? Does he threaten them? Does he pronounce a judgment that might come? Should they not do what he says? Oh, that's so unloving. That's not Christ-like. Is it? Yes, it is. Jesus threatens and says, I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. This is a conditional threat, as we call it. Here's the condition. You stay unrepentant, I take your candlestick away. That's what he's saying. You will no longer be a visible church of Christ. You will no longer be holding forth the word of life. What will you hold forth? Well, who knows? Any number of things. But not the gospel of Christ, not the light of the world, not the truth of God's word. Again, he comes back to commending them. Now, again, many Christians can't conceive in their minds how saying hatred is a good thing from Jesus. Like, that doesn't fit, right? You hate? That's not Christ-like. What does Jesus commend them for? Thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans. This is one of your first works that's not lacking. You hate false and wicked doctrines. This is a rebuke to the undue softness of many. Oh, well, we just don't agree. No, well, is it true? Is it against the Lord Jesus Christ? We should hate it especially the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Now, Nike means to overcome, and the Laos, those are the people of God, those who are collected in covenant by Jesus Christ. They are the Laos. Nicolaitan means one who has victory over the people. Now, what sort of person considers himself as victorious? Well, usually it was an emperor. He'd go off to war, and when he came back as a conqueror, you remember from Romans 8, we are more than conquerors. It's a very related word to this, Nikolaos. We are the overcomers of the people. Crush them under our heels, in other words. Ecclesiastical tyrants lording it over the consciences of the faithful, not with the statutes of Christ, the chief shepherd, but their own statutes, like Diotrephes, who loved to have the preeminence, who wanted to be number one, and he wanted to crush those under him. And if you happen to even invite John the apostle into your house, what would he do? Kick you out of the church. Why? Because it's unlawful to have hospitality to the apostles as they preach the gospel? Well, that's what Diotrephes said. He made up his own rules. He was his own Lord. Thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans. This is good. And then our Lord closes this letter. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. This is not a physical ear. Well, if you have a physical ear, listen to what I'm saying. No. What is an ear to hear? Who formed the ear and who reforms us in his image so that we have ears to hear? Well, it is God the Spirit. The Spirit is speaking to the churches, and if you have been effectually called, listen up. And who is this? Just these first century churches that John addresses? No. Everyone that has been begotten of God, regenerated by his grace, here are lessons for you to hear. Here are things that you should be listening to. And this is true of this letter to the Ephesian angel and all the letters of the New Testament. Are they just for the Colossians, just for the Ephesians, just for the Corinthians? Well, you see, that applied to them there. It doesn't apply to us now. You know what that means? You're saying you don't have ears to hear. You're saying the Spirit of God has not recreated you in His image. If you have ears to hear, brothers and sisters, listen to what the Spirit of God says to these churches. Be careful to hear what God has said in his word. Learn the lessons. What does Jesus commend? Well, let me imitate that. What does he condemn? Well, let me avoid that. What does he promise? Well, let me hope for that. What does he threaten? Let me tremble at that. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, this is a play on words. Do you remember the Nicolaitans? To him that overcometh is the verb, Nikain. Overcometh, just like they say they overcome the people. So you overcome their false doctrines and their wicked ways. And if you do this, what will you have? Right back to Genesis Paradise will be restored to you, you will eat of the tree of life. And have everlasting blessedness. You will be victorious over lies, over errors, over heresy, over lawlessness. And you will come at last to God's heavenly kingdom. Then to Smyrna, verses 8 through 11. The first and the last, Alpha and Omega, you remember from chapter 1. And then, which was dead and is alive, fully God, Alpha and Omega, fully man, he could die and rise again from the dead. He knew that in Smyrna, they worked, they had tribulation, they had poverty, but they were rich. They didn't think themselves rich, and he has to tell them how poor they are, we'll see that in chapter 3. Here, they were actually poor, but he says, no, I have made you rich. I have enriched you, and others spoke against them, blasphemous words. They said that they were Jews, but they were not, but rather they were the synagogue of Satan. Gill says these were the forerunners of the Antichrist, whose coming was after the working of Satan. That's why their synagogue was of Satan. Now when it says they say they're Jews, it's not talking about physical descent from the tribe of Judah. No. Jews are those praised of God, those people united by faith to Christ, who is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And who are Jews? Those united to Christ, those inwardly Jews, in other words. He's not talking about the descendants of Abraham here. Everything that we've read is filled with what? Figures. Representations, one thing for another. These say they're the true people of God and you're not nanner nanner and he says that's not true I'm going to make them come before you and know that I have loved you the these that John writes to are the genuine Israel of God the true Jews so as true Jews fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer can these sufferings you'll undergo shake your foundation Will you be ununited to Christ by these sufferings? Will the love of God in Christ Jesus be severed from you through tribulation or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Fear none of those things, Jesus says. Now you will be tried, he says in verse 10. That's the purpose of the sufferings. So that as silver is tried, you may be tried. You shall have tribulation ten days. The wheel will come and crush for a short space. Ten days. You might think it's long, but it's not. It's just ten days. That's it. But be thou faithful unto death, he says. Death. And what's the opposite of death? Life. You shall have a crown of life. In other words, if you die for my sake. The death of the body the life of the soul god here crowns his own gifts god gives the gift of martyrdom it's his grace that enables us to suffer for him and then he crowns his own gifts he says let us not fear what god shall call us to suffer or be crushed by let us rejoice in the promise of god's grace that will crown with glory the graces he works, even in sufferings. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death, verse 11. Our victory is that by which we overcome. He that believeth, he that overcometh by faith, that does not give in to the false doctrines and the wicked living of false teachers. Then the message to Pergamos 12 through 17. Jesus describes himself as having a sharp two-edged sword, We saw this in chapter 1, verse 16. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Hebrews 4, 12, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. This is what Christ has in his mouth, the word of God. Speaking it forth through his apostles and prophets, cutting asunder to the division of the joints and the marrow, Discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's what Jesus is doing here. They were where Satan's seat was, here in this Pergamos church. Satan had his place there. He was as a charioteer driving on the persecution of the saints. But they held fast to the name of Christ, even in Satan's seat. They did not deny the faith of Christ. His name is his doctrines. We saw this. Hallowed be thy name. He says here, notice the parallelism. Verse 13 Thou holdest fast my what? My name. And hast not denied my what? My faith. What I teach you to believe, that is my name. He has exalted his oracles, remember his word, above all his name. Christ has taught us what to believe, and even under persecution, they did not give it up. Even when Antipas, the faithful martyr, was slain among them. Did they give up the faith at that point? Well, it's not worth it. I'm gonna risk my life for these beliefs that we've been taught by our ministers who preach to us the word of God. It's not worth it. I'm walking away. Did they say that? They didn't. They held fast the name of Jesus Christ Revealed in the faith of Christ. But there were some who had a problem, the doctrine of Balaam. Do you remember Balaam, kids, in the book of Numbers? Balak came and said, look, I want to hire you, and I will pay you if you curse Israel. And he couldn't curse. God would not permit him. So Balaam, we saw later in Numbers, figured out something. You can't curse these people, but you can seduce them. So here's what we do. We're gonna have some beautiful women dancing, and we're going to have some food set out for them to eat. And that food, we're going to have a worship service for Baal Peor, and we're gonna consecrate the food to our God, Baal Peor, and then we're gonna tell them to come eat the food, and then they're gonna rise up and fornicate, isn't that great? And then what will happen to their God? Will he bless them anymore? No, he'll curse them, won't he? So let's seduce them away from the living God. Some misunderstand what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9 when he says an idol is nothing in the world and therefore you can eat meat sacrificed to idols. No, Paul says you can't. If the man tells you this meat was offered in sacrifice to idols, what are you to do? Don't eat it. Reject it. Nope. Can't eat it. Sorry. You told me... That this is for your false God. God says, 1 Corinthians 10, 14, flee from idolatry. Can you eat the table of the Lord and the table of devils? No, are not going to eat your meat sacrificed to idols. Is it true that they can't defile the meat? Absolutely. Go to the marketplace. The priests sell their wares there, including the meat. You can eat that. Take it home and eat it but if you participate in their idolatry if you show them that you are okay with their lawlessness do not do it this is the doctrine of balaam oh you're free to do this it's no problem you can indulge in a little bit of syncretism little bit of jesus little bit of devil let's mix them together no Don't seek your own pleasure. Don't set a stumbling block before the children of Israel, cause them to fall to idolatry and fornication. Repent, he says, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them. That's very interesting, isn't it? I will come unto thee, angel of the church of Pergamos, and I will fight against them. Those that hold the doctrine of who? Balaam. You see, ministers have a duty to fight with false doctrine. And if they refuse to do it, who's going to do it? Who's going to take up for the ark of God? Hophni and Phineas? No. So what does God do? He takes up his own cause. I will fight with them. And what will happen to the candlestick? Gone repent he says or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them but if they overcome verse 17 they will have this hidden manna a white stone and in the stone a new name written which no man knoweth saving he that receiveth it these are glorious promises as all the rest these refer us to the heavenly glories partaking in Jesus Christ to the fullness Not on the earth where it's public and open, but in the heavenly sanctuary where he is hidden manna. God will feed us on his son forevermore. And here, the victor's stone, the stone of government and rule, the white stone with your name on it. These are blessings beyond comprehension. Then the message to Thyatira, verses 18 through 29. Jesus has eyes like unto a flame of fire to judge and to discern. He knew that their works that were last were greater than those at the first. They were growing in grace and in good works. But here's the problem, he says. You who are my stars, you allow a woman to teach named Jezebel. You allow her to seduce my servants to commit fornication. Now this is back to the doctrine of Balaam. She causes them to commit fornication because they mix together the true religion of the husband, that is Christ, and of the paramour, that is Baal. And they mix it together and they say, Jesus and Baal mixed together makes a true religion. We will take Jesus for our husband but we'll also have these lovers on the side. That's Jezebel. That's the doctrine of Jezebel. Yeah, you can enter into these forms of idolatry. You know, you don't have to smash those graven images. No. You don't have to refuse that food. You can enter into it, it's fine. This is the doctrine of Jezebel. And you suffer her to teach this she calls herself a prophetess and you allow this to happen christ says she repented not i gave her space i gave her time i gave her instruction and did she listen no she's not going to listen so i will cast her into a bed And all of her paramours she commits adultery with, I'm going to throw them into tribulation. He will judge their licentiousness. He will judge their idolatry. He will judge their libertine spirit. Don't nobody tell me what to do. Oh, yes, Christ will tell us what to do. Christ is our Lord. We cannot cast off and halt between two opinions, Baal and Jehovah. No, if Baal be God, serve him. If Jehovah is God, serve him. Don't go between these two. Her children who come forth from her errors, spawned of this demonic doctrine, I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. This doctrine of Jezebel is deadly. It brings in destruction and everyone begotten of this doctrine will be destroyed. He's warning us. Don't go near that doctrine. Don't let it in. Don't accept it. Don't live according to it or you will die. And why does Jesus judge? Why does he kill? Why does he bring death? So that everyone knows what? What are we going to know about Jesus? Verse 23. What will all the churches know? He is Jehovah. Who is it that searches down into the inmost core of your being, your heart? Who is it that can search even further down into your reins? Further than you know what you're thinking and feeling and willing, Jesus can. So you think you're going to escape with your little Jezebel doctrines? You're not going to escape. And all who follow her will die. And then Jesus will be known as he that judges and discerns the thoughts and intents of the hearts. Verse 24, Jesus mocks their false doctrine. Oftentimes, these errors and heresies, this lawlessness, they think they've got some deep doctrine. Oh, man, that's deep. Take another hit, it'll get deeper, bro. Oh, these deep doctrines, what does he say? The depths of whom? What deep doctrines? Satan's depths. These people are teaching the deep doctrines of the devil. Jezebel's whoredoms were oh so deep according to them, but not according to Christ. They say they're deep, Jesus says they're satanic. This spiritual whoredom, this mixing of idolatry with the true religion is not deep. It is shallow, it is wicked, it is lawless, and it is deadly. That's what he's saying. Now, do you remember back in Jude and 2 Peter 2? That's what he's talking about. The doctrine of lawlessness, of wickedness, of grace, abolishing the moral law. And so now we can commit idolatry freely. We can mix together God's religion with the heathen religions. These are not deep doctrines. These are devilish. And then again, the promise. Notice verse 27. He'll give power over the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers. Does this remind you of a psalm? What does Christ say? He's going to inherit the nation, Psalm 2. And what will happen to his adversaries? He will break them in pieces as a potter's vessel. We will partake together with Jesus in his kingship. And thus far the exposition of Revelation Chapter 2.